Hello and welcome to the Monocle Culture Show with me, Robert Bounds. Uh, We've been a bit quiet on the documentary front recently, but all that is about to change as we hit June, the month when some of the best doco releases of the year. Um, There's so much to cover that it'll take more than one episode, but the two that we've picked to discuss today are Holston and Diego Maradona. Holston is the latest by Frederick Cheng, who made Dior and I, and it's the story of the titular American fashion giant of the 1970s and his subsequent downfall a decade later. And Diego Maradona gives us an exclusive glimpse of unseen footage of the famous Argentine footballer, arguably the best of all time, which has been crafted into a documentary by Asif Kapadia, the maestro behind Senna and Amy. And joining me on the programme to kick our doc discussion into action are film critics Jason Solomon and Anna Smith. Um, Jason, Anna, welcome to the programme. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us, Rob. Um, Lovely to see you. Fresh from Cannes, Burnish. I don't know how fresh... But, but recently well, look, returned. you're looking well. <laughs> Thank you very but then we've got much. the lights down quite low in here. Yeah, this is in how I like one. it. This, this is how I like it too. I feel like I'm still in Cannes. I'm in denial. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of dog chat. Before we kick off documentary matters, documentary matters. Documentary. Your mind in Cannes, I love it. Yes, yeah, so I'm a judge on the Palm Dog Awards, yeah. which is the award for the best canine performance. This year, Brandy from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won. And to our surprise, the director, Quentin Tarantino, turned up to collect the award himself. The dog okay. collar. Yeah, so it's a very small exciting. Round of applause breaks out. Amongst oh, very the listening large. several. <laughs> large well, there, a lot. Yeah, yes, exactly. yeah, if, a lot of if, excitement in the room. If Reservoir Dogs was in competition that year, yeah. would, would that count? Ooh, sort of bring Harvey Keitel yeah. in and a leash. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just basically. That's something to aim for. <laughs> in a little suit. Yeah. That'd be excellent. Okay, but today we're talking football and fashion, and we're going to begin with Holston. Anna, I'll kick off with you. Why is Holsey? He's a kind of forgotten figure in terms of the sort of Dior's and Lacroix's and Carl's of this world. Who was he and why is he a good documentary fodder? I think that's one of the things that makes this documentary interesting because he isn't a household name anymore, but he clearly was very well known in the 70s as a designer to the stars. They have Liza Minnelli talking about how his clothes danced with you in this yeah. documentary. So he was clearly loved, adored. Um, several things make him a good subject. I think not just the fact that he was a popular and successful fashion designer, but the fact that he allegedly party hard and hung out with all the celebrities of the day and he innovated. He had a real sense for PR. He basically invented the hot pants. Uh, so th- there was a lot of press around him, there's a lot of interest around him and things didn't necessarily go so well, which again, of course, is a fascinating story. It is an Icarus-like story projection. Let's play a bit of the trailer to get our listeners' um, heads around this one. His clothes hit me like this is it. And this is the fashion that I would want to wear. No zippers, just get in and out over your head. Overnight success. It was a clean look. The simplicity was really needed after the 60s. And it was all American, from an all American boy. Well, when you have Nico soundtracking the trailer, you know something might go wrong at some point. Jason, how do you how do you make a good fashion film? What well, fashion, fashion really there? works on on camera. A, you've got a lot of uh, sometimes you've got a lot of uh, défilé. You've got what are they called fashion parades. You've got the big shows, so you, you you always end up with a big centerpiece. So it builds to some kind of dance move. And Holston had some fantastic choreography involved and very simple, colourful lines. Uh, the the clothes flow, as Anna said. Liza Minnelli said they danced with you, and there's a lot of Liza Minnelli coming out and doing a ah, Holston thing. 
and there's some good Liza Minnelli in it. Some great Liza Minnelli, which is always good for a doc. There's also some good Joel Schumacher in there because he was a a costume designer before his director and he hung out with him in Fire Island. So there's this big gay thing going on in New York and there's countless documentaries mythologizing the New York night of the 1970s all around Studio 54. And of course, Halston was there. Halston, Gucci, Fiorucci, as the Sister Sledge song, Greatest Dancer, goes. (laughs) And he was there right at the centre of the disco scene. So he was there kind of mincing about doing coke, shouting at people. So he's a great (laughs) character. And if he wasn't played by Halston himself in the archive footage in the documentary, you'd have had to get someone like Udo Kier to come in and play him because there's a slight sinister element to him because he's almost a Bond villain. He hides himself away in these mirrored lairs at the top of New York and has all these women come and sort of kind of swirl around him and then <laughs> takes them to China in trucks. So it's yeah. kind of he's, he's kind of a, a shadowy figure as well. Halston is just a name. It's not his real name and he changed his name. He's a he's a sort of uh, Gatsby Machiavelli figure who who kind of finds his way among New York. Why, why is he gone? Where did he disappear? That's what I wanted to say. If he was so big and so high, how where did he go? Yeah, that's one of the things. That was one of the kind of soft spots and the soft underbelly of this film. I kind of wanted a bit more fashion in it. I wanted to know kind of technically why he what was he revered because Liza kind of eulogising you is a wonderful thing. But I kind of wanted not in a nerdy way, but to know a bit more of that technique. I guess though, Anna, that's kind of tough to do on film and to keep people engaged. Maybe I don't. Well, know. I think some uh, documentaries have done that quite well recently, like the Vivian Westwood one yeah. did that really well. And I think from that, you really got an, a sense of what you're talking about is, you know, exactly the talent she was born with, the innate understanding of fashion and how it works and how to dress people and also how to succeed in that kind of business. But and this McQueen's kind of... did it. McQueen, yeah. Yeah. No, McQueen did it very well. the atelier, yeah. Exactly. And this kind of skimmed past that and seemed to focus on, as you say, the personality and almost the cult of his personality. And I felt that, you know, it's very true what Jason was saying, that he was this enigmatic figure, and he, but he does remain slightly enigmatic throughout because inevitably there isn't that much insight into his actual real personality. Um, there's a lot of archive and ads which are sort of 80s and camp and nuts. Um, so there's a lot of kind of good stuff. I mean, there's, you know, in the screening I went to, there are a lot of kind of guffaws. Yeah, it is, uh, it's quite funny. Uh, it's, it is quite way. funny. And I suppose there is, there is a bit about how he cut on the bias, so it made yeah. it made the kind of clothes flow a bit. And there was a real reaction to them. They're, they're very simple lines. I, in fact, he kind of aimed really high. I mean, the film builds itself on a art versus big business clash yeah. did he then sell himself out to the corporate America because he I think he put a line in JC Penney's really and everyone was like oh, you can't have fashion in JC Penney's uh, and he came out with this very strong and I mentioned how good at PR he was I want to dress America well I mean that's a massive ambition and a really laudable one I think if you've done a little bit of haute couture and then you're doing a little bit of diffusion then off you go and yeah. why not roll it out so and it seemed to be working. I don't, I don't really know what went wrong. Did anything go wrong? He kind of, well, I think he was with Neiman Marcus. Or he was with some other big... He was with Bergdorf's. Bergdorf's, that's it. So you can't be in there and... And then he was pennies. with someone else. So he kind of cut himself in half. He cut off his nose to spite his face. I think the, the implication in this documentary, which may come up again later, is that a drug problem may have been one of the issues. But it didn't really go full out with it. It didn't kind of say, well, there he was, he was shouting at people. And obviously, if you're hugely successful, you're going to shout at people. But I think there was an implication that that, that his addiction to cocaine or whatever it was is was part of the problem with the way that he dealt with people and the way he withdrew and the way he made certain decisions which were not necessarily the soundest decisions when he was in his right mind. I think 
I got that from that, but yeah, I didn't say it outright. So we did a bit of coke, and then someone says, well, we did a lot of coke, and then someone says, maybe we only did a little I think bit. that was just quite funny, because it was very clear <laughs> that, that he did a lot. Yeah, there was that wonderful <laughs> Italian designer for, that Elsa worked for Peretti. him. Elsa Peretti. Elsa was kind of like, it was pretty much like, well, we didn't go to sleep in 1983. But other yeah. than that, it was fun. She was fabulous. She was amazing. Too. Like, Edna Mode. She's absolutely brilliant. I want to see a documentary about her now. But there were those extreme characters of one guy that went, oh, well, you know, when I took work seriously, I stopped intravenous drug use. You know, yeah, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't like it on the plane. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't have it. Yeah, it was that kind so, of yeah, thing. So yeah, because you you do watch and think, well, you know, what did it? Was there a massive? There's got to be a huge fall, Icarus, you say, and then he's yeah. at the top of this tower, and he should come down. And then someone goes, oh my god, it all went wrong when we went to 108 feet. Yeah, uh, and there's lots <laughs> of that kind of camp dismissal. I've been watching Pose. I was watching Pose, the the, the TV show, yeah. at the same time. I've been watching Halston, and they're both kind of mythologies of the New York night, and, and brilliantly dismissive in their camp put downs. And that's the best thing in here. Yeah. I didn't think that it did a great job of culturally reassessing his clothes and putting them up there with Dior or yeah. Givenchy or all the other ones we've seen or, or even The Last Emperor about Valentino. Mm. Didn't feel that Holston quite had that mythology or that I'm going to want to pick... I mean, they're still doing Holston. Someone's still doing the label, aren't, aren't they? But yeah, it's funny. I, right? I, would, yeah. I would like, mm, let's run out and get some vintage Holston. There must be loads of it in sort of J- rotting in J.C. Penney's basement <laughs> somewhere around Boston. So I don't know, but I didn't feel like, oh, that piece is amazing. No, I was questioning myself on that because I love clothes and I'm very interested in that era, but there was nothing that I saw visually that made me want his clothes, which is very strange, actually. Maybe it's not particularly my style. I think it suits people who are about six foot five. You had to be quite tall <laughs> and thin. But, I mean, but that's the same with quite a lot of fashion. So. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of side boob. Yeah. And, I yeah. mean, they did look good. You know, yeah. They looked good on daytime TV, on Donahue, rather than on uh, yes. know, rather than in Milan. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. massively aspirational on that. It was more, as you say, about, about the bitch he put down to a very funny. <laughs> um, but it's, a sort of, it's also a rehabilitation, because for a lot of people who love Dior and I, Frederick Cheng's first film, they'll kind of come to this and go, well, you know, I kind of want to get in on this. So there is a strange thing, because I, I, watching the Studio 54 documentary, there's so much Holston in it, and hanging out with Warhol and all the rest of it, and yeah, being this coked-up, shouty kind of guy who does look like a Bond villain, or the architect that lives at the top of the tower block in High Rise. He's kind of weird, spacey kind of dude that's kind of ethereal. Um, you kind of, you this film kind of tells you who he is, maybe without telling you why he was good, I suppose, possibly. Who knows? I don't know. I um, suppose you can be anything you want in fashion it was, is the message because he came from the Midwest and he was called yeah. Roy Halston or something yeah his name. Frowick, he yeah. became a milliner at Bergdorf Goodman's there's a great documentary about Bergdorf actually isn't there yeah. which is also a yeah. good, good story so there's a lot of these stories coming out of New York and he was definitely part of them I'm not sure he was the most interesting in the end although he definitely he definitely made a mark on, on 70s and 80s fashion but yeah I, I wasn't sure about what, where the fool was in, in this documentary just as a film do you need that sort of trajectory um, in, you know, I mean, we'll go on to talk about Maradona in a minute. People kind of know it's a similar sort of story, really. It's kind of like running out of control with your success. Do you need that story arc in the documentary, whether from rags to riches or riches to rags? I don't think you need it. I think it's all down to the documentary of how well they treat it. I think mm. in this one, I felt that it was perhaps a bit more of a gift than was exploited. Um, the fact that it was the classic rise and fall situation, it seemed a little bit hurried, that the kind of fall, and that they didn't have time to explore it fully and didn't really go into it enough. So it left me feeling a little bit disappointed despite the earlier highs. You know, I sort of thought, oh, okay, bit of a letdown. And I really enjoyed like Antonio Lopez documentary and other ones in yeah. that sort of um, area and that sort of 
space a lot more because I think they got the structure better. Would it be spoiling to say that Hawkinson is dead and why he died? Is that a spoiler? Well, because I think that, even no, that didn't really come up. Yeah. I mean, they didn't do too much on the AIDS. They didn't. The Unfortunately, crisis. having watched so many of these documentaries, I didn't know how he was going to die. But from the minute it opened, you kind of knew. It's so sad. I mean, I think what's been interesting to me about watching all these documentaries is it, they all give an insight into the terrible AIDS epidemic and how tragically affected that community in New York at that time. Yeah. Um, and just finally. On Holston, in terms of the texture of it, we said there's great talking heads from the likes of Liza Minnelli, and there's a lot of party footage and all the ads and all the and all the catwalk shows, as Jason was saying. There's also kind of like a, the funny thing that you know, how do we sort of expose these facts? How do we do exposition other than having Basil exposition pop out of a radio? <laughs> And that's the reconstruction. It's used quite sparingly with a girl that's going through the archives. What do we think of the kind of overall texture of the movie, of the documentary? I think it was well enough done not to draw attention to that, which I think is the key. You need to be just following the story. No, no, I mean, when you're watching it, you know. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's it's, because it's quite fast cut. It's in the spirit of the movie, in the spirit of his life, the fact that it's moving at quite a jazzy pace with great disco music and it doesn't pause too long on the reconstructions to make it feel a little bit awkward or too set up so I think that kind of worked. Now you mention it, I'd almost forgotten about this girl going You just the remember the ads and the, and the runway shows. I don't know what shows, she was right? really finding, she needs to do some more research hire a better researcher and put her on camera because I think you really <laughs> missed what, what happened in the story and it's a bit like yeah 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 and I'm like, oh, hold on, I've just spent, I've just spent an hour from building up this guy. I yeah. need to know more. And actually, how does that work? When you, when you, you know, in terms of documentaries, there is such an unwillingness to actually kind of go, and then I went to so-and-so, the kind of putting the presenter on camera. Obviously, that's a TV trope. But things are either dramatised or we've tried to... And we play massive. The, yeah. Play massive I was going to say, there's no... No one wants to go back to talking heads, but sometimes no. you really need it. Because I think with the documentary, you're always going to put... You're foisting some narrative arc on some truth. So what you've got to do is, is create that. No one's making it up for you. So you've got to sift history and sort of say this, this, this and this. And then you've got to put your own reading on it where it might not be there. Sometimes I think documentaries force a little reading and force some characters in there where they're not there because execs or critics like us sort of say, yeah, we need a bit more momentum. And This one, I think, sort of ran out of it, mm. ran out of material. Well, that is Holston, um, directed by Frederick Cheng. We're going to move on to Diego Maradona, who doesn't need an introduction, but because a radio show, we're going to give him one anyway. Um, he was born in Argentina in 1960, became one of the most famous footballers on the planet, playing for Barcelona and Napoli, and of course his home country, for whom he scored 34 goals in 91 appearances. Jason, how does Asif Kapadia tell the story of he, one of these of this legend? He does it in an Asif Kapadia way because he did Senna first. And yeah, then so how Amy. does that? So how, what's I'm his style? A South American sporting hero documentary yes. style. <laughs> he he, gets, he does away with talking heads. Doesn't have people coming on and sort of saying. And then I met Diego and he did this. There are voices. He does interview people. Asif thoroughly, thoroughly interviews. He interviews 150 more people than he can possibly fit on camera to get the idea and to, to find the story. Mm. With Senna and Amy, you had the story because there was a beginning, middle and a tragic end to all of their lives. With Maradona, it's not quite there. He's still with us, Maradona. In fact, we still hoped he might have turned up at the premiere at Cannes. He didn't, which made it a much easier night for all of us, yeah. but it would have been chaos <laughs> had he arrived. 
what he's done is really concentrate on the era that he was in Naples, in Napoli, which is the crowning feat of it. And it's about what I think the film's about. And I, I think I differ between Asif Kapadia and several other people. I think it's about the ability of one man's charisma to imprint on a community and a town. Naples and Maradona are intrinsically linked. They are the same beating So person. poor town, not very good football team, considering the biggest play, one of the biggest players in the world goes there. Exactly. He, no one else would have had this player. Yeah. They spent a fortune, which they, of course they didn't have, but a lot of it was mafia money to get this guy there and he single-handedly pun intended brought them out of the rubble uh, and 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 gave them glory that they've never before or since touched and it was a savior story and the, the place is san Gennaro. it's full of saints if yeah. you go to naples i got married in naples so i had the fortune stroke misfortune to go there quite a lot and try and organize something in that area um it's a shambles. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. obviously shambles, but it's a glorious, ruinous shambles. And it is what Maradona is as well. And this film puts the two of them together. And I think it's it's a glorious, ruinous, scrubby, grubby, fantastic It's a Neapolitan film, film it in is. many ways. And that's because so much of the footage is archived. Diego, Maradona himself, yeah, had he, but he, he had a cameraman following him around in order, at a certain point, because he became very paranoid about what people were trying to do to him. So well, a lot of it is, is that as well. So He was, so on, a lot of coke. Of he was on a lot of coke. <laughs> yeah. Makes Halston look like, you know, <laughs> looks like a dilettant. I bet Halston it's like the was, Milky Bar Kid. Doesn't he? Uh, and Maradona <laughs> could dance and he did lots of discoing and he obviously slept with lots of people and he got really friendly with the Camorra, who we know from the <clears> film Gomorrah, <throat> were the, the main drivers of the industry there. There's a clash between that illegal side of mm. Naples and football and then they're being revered by the establishment. And in one game, the 86 game against England, Maradona does both of those things. He's a rebel and he does a handball and then he scores the most sublime goal in the history of world football. And that's him encapsulated in one match. And it is this kind of, it's this dichotomy of Maradona, of his personality, of what he means to people that is, you said, Jason, that you even disagree with the director. You think it's about one man's power over a culture. Yeah. Smart move. I th- Asif Kapadia sets it up as a film about the Diego, who is the sweet boy who supported his family, who came from a poor part of, of Buenos Aires, and then and the Maradona character, which is the sort of villain who handballs a goal in and does all the rest of it. That seems like an easier sell. Do you buy that one? Which one do you buy, Anna? Well, to me, it's about fame. Because yeah. I am not interested in football. I mean, all I knew about him before this, I kind of made it my goal, if you like, ironically, to sort of shut out football. There's a lot of pun- intended ears. puns yeah. in this program. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and I have managed to only know that he was a controversial footballer, and that was about it. So I learned a lot, and I was interested because still, I think Asif has that wonderful ability to draw you into a world and, and tell you about it, even if you know very little about it. So that was interesting. But what I took away from it, I was most intrigued by was you know, how that level of adoration and fame affected him. So, of course, these two things are very linked. And as you say, the contrast between the nice mummy's boy and the the man who is revered and treated like a god and then can't handle it and ends up with a drug problem. And um, I was intrigued by the way uh, it was revealed that he treated women and his girlfriend. I thought that was uh, particularly interesting and getting to grips with the, the kind of controversies in his life and his absolute... Um, belligerence really and his he was such an ostrich because there was the story that he'd fathered a child and he just kept denying it as if somehow it wasn't going to come out as the truth at some mm. point and I think um, the, one of the women involved said well he's quite immature and I think that was putting it quite mildly and this is this really really emotionally immature man and I think that was such an interesting insight into someone 
and how actually the level of fame that he achieved probably kept that immature child in stasis or made it even worse. Yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, as a non as a non football fan, was it a pleasurable or fascinating or muckily glorious, as Jason is saying, universe to inhabit for a couple of hours? I wonder. I think. I preferred the film Amy because I'm more interested in music mm. and that world than football. So I don't think there is as much for a non-football fan because clearly I don't have as understanding or investment in that world as someone that's not interested. But I did learn a lot. And as I say, it's a very human story. And I think what I really love about Asif is that he constantly kind of predicts what question you're going to ask in your head next. So you have the sensation that he's following your interest. He might be leading your interest, but he's following your interest. So as soon as a question pops into your head, like, oh, I wonder what about it? What about his mother? What about his brother? What about his girlfriend? She pops up. Then they come up, you know, and he's, that's really well timed and really well done. I feel I feel I'm not ashamed. I feel really glad that Anna's doing this with me because she has concentrated on the spurned women or the mistreated women. And yeah. they're very much, they do sort of pile up. And my love for football, my love for the iconography of this bloated hero figure, a villain figure, I was hoping there was going to be lots of football in it because yeah. he was really good at football. Well, there's, there's football, I mean? there's Bluebeard's Castle, but then there's the fact that, yeah, he was an, he was an abysmal womanizer. An abysmal womanizer or a very good womanizer. It depends on your, he was, not, you know what I mean? He was brilliant at charming people he yes. could have women wherever mm. he was a great dancer and he danced all night and he, he was a good dancer he was charming and, and people queued up to touch the hem of his garment if you go to Naples they have sort of relics of him you know bits of hair hem of his garment there is a, a Jesus or, yeah. or saviour figure going on there so I, I think it's really interesting to look at the human flaws where you could actually imprint yourself with with your children I think he's got eight now something like this yeah. he could imprint on the football pitch and that's where he really could imprint his legacy and his personality less so in life and I think that's really fascinating because it is in those human relationships that it flawed and probably that's where the cocaine came from you can probably numb that away with cocaine yeah there was so, a really revealing scene, I think, which is thinking about, you know, the age we're in now, sort of post Me Too, um, where there's a camera crew interviewing a bunch of young girls and they look like they're very much underage, saying, which player would you like to sleep with? And they're all going, Maradona. Yeah. It's a funny one. What kind of moral... Com- I mean, as I say, this is, in the true style of Asif Kapalia, this is done, with it, although, as, as Jason was saying, he interviews a lot of people, it's all done with archive and all the rest of it. There is no kind of... There is no exposition, only only in terms of what you well, can there do is a, with... There the, is a voiceover... And a, a, yeah. Forgive me, I haven't worked out if it's new Diego voiceover or old Diego voiceover. There is a voice, the voice of God, if you like, saying, mm, I did that. And there's a sort of whisper, very tersely yeah. used whisper. And I think it might be a new interview with the new Diego that Asif has got. Because that crops but, up at the end where he's actually on camera, isn't he? Kind of reflecting yeah, but that's a, almost that's a, on the... That's a clip from a telly show right. from 2009 or something right. like that. So, but there is a voiceover, and I think it might be new about yes, that like, when I first touched cocaine, I felt like God for a bit, and then he, and so there are there's this voiceover that it took me a while to work out whose voiceover it was. It was a murmuring, and, and I think it is Diego now looking back. But it's strange. There's no footage of that. There's no there's no massive meets Diego, no shaking hands. And it's interesting that's not made explicit because I too all. was wondering. I wasn't quite sure, and I thought it might be a pre-existing interview. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions still unanswered, but in a in an elegant way, and in a way that I think is still intriguing. I mean enjoyable. the. Point is that Anna doesn't watch a lot of football documentaries like I do, watching those, you know, those Sky Sports, you know, the Premier League years, all those docs that there are, and there are millions and millions of them. This one is such a league above. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like Liverpool playing Spurs. They are just way, way above them. And a little dig <laughs> to get that one in. Um, but it is a documentary that's about beauty and human. It's not. It isn't just the football story there. There's something much bigger at stake. I particularly liked. 
just the footage. I love that when TVs had tubes and the cameras were, I don't know, there, there was a kind of warmth about it. Of course, a lot of this, the footage is from the World Cup in Mexico and, and in Italy. And then, of course, in Naples itself. What's the Spike Lee movie about the hottest day of the do year? Do the right thing. Do the right thing. There's something do the right thing about it. You feel like the tarmac's curling up at its edges. And there's something kind of, there's a pressure cooker element just to some of the footage and the close-up, the grainy quality, the sort of pixelated grainy quality of the, the old TV footage, which is particularly kind of satisfying to it and adds to the kind of sense that there's going to be some sort of downfall, that there has to be a thunderstorm to break the like, weather. It all, looks like, I mean? it all looks like news. Yeah. So there's always going to be a story or a yeah. tragedy at the end of it. You expect a ticker tape numbers to come up and sort of yeah. say, you know, 100 people were injured in a stampede. It all looks like there's just been a story around him. The whole thing, he can't exist without yeah. a story around him. Whereas as Halston, I think, existed in this ivory tower, almost untouchable. We don't get near him. You do feel you can get near Diego. You feel you might be able to be in that scrum and, and, and you know, get hold of his belt or something. Yeah, I think Hasif does that really well, is that you see a lot of scenes where people are crowding around him, as you say, desperate to touch him, and he's in the centre of everything and almost looking a little bit overwhelmed. And I think, yeah, the voiceovers do give that sense of him, him just being just overwhelmed by adoration. There's, on a sort of personal level for both of these men, the subject of both these documentaries, their downfall sort of happens late-ish. It's not like they have one flush of success and then go mad. It kind of happens kind of in their dotage. I mean, a fashion designer should be able to do their job. Clearly a footballer, his professional life could probably only last until he's, well, in those days, maybe 40, maybe if you're a goalie. But, off. Do you know what I mean? But it, it's a strange thing. They, they kind of go off the rails kind of when you feel that their creativity or their professional abilities yeah, are kind of waning. That's a what bit. Anna says about the documentaries earlier. We, it, it's almost that the filmmaker has to decide whether they've gone off the rails. You know, they yeah. have to make a moral judgment or they have a fall. I mean, Diego's still going and still creating headlines and still doing mm. mad stuff. I mean, he could have turned up to Cannes that would have been another chapter. He was at the World Cup the year before he nearly threw himself off the top of the the stand when Argentina were playing and yeah. started insulting people. There's more and more and more. At some point, Asif, a documentary maker, has to say stop, has to sort of say, yeah, that, like, my story's finished now and then, then, then life can take the rest of it. Do both of these films have a sort of moral compass? I mean, it feels like the, the footage, the, these people's lives themselves, the footage, etc., etc. Just the story arc itself does that without having to kind of lean on things. We talked about the you know, women and Maradona in this one. That could have had a bright light shined on it in some ways. Do we require a bit of m moral manoeuvring, Anna, I wonder? I'm not sure it's moral manoeuvring, but obviously a documentary filmmaker makes certain decisions yeah. very aware of how the audience are going to judge the character. And I think the Maradona film certainly doesn't shy away from pointing the finger at some of his misdemeanours. Um, I think it, Holston was perhaps a little more of a step back. I would say more sympathetic in a way. To the, mm. to be, and I think I had a sense that they felt a little bit sorry for him. Whereas the Maradona one, I think, is warts and all. Yeah, I always think with Asif, you know, he, he's the very emotional stories, all three of these trilogies. And yet he always remains fairly dispassionate, I think, even though when you're telling a story like Amy, which is crushing and tragic and you want to stop the action on the screen you want to say please everyone look on he remains dispassionate as a, as a filmmaker mm. I think that's what everyone says oh he's revolutionised the doc genre and I think he has but in terms of he's being quite as historically cold about it as he possibly can be even when telling these hugely emotive subjects and putting emotive he makes emotional choices he gets Pinto to do the music and that's yeah. brilliant and this Maradona film I have to say it has the best opening 
sequence of yes. any documentary I've ever yeah. seen with this car footage of him driving through Naples with this kind of eerie John Carpenter-esque. Yeah. It's actually Todd Terje. It's such a new music, but it's got that 80s electronic. And you feel like you're in a in a drugs movie from the 80s and you're right in there ready to kind of snake through all these kind of labyrinthine, crumbling passageways. And we do that of either his mind or his physique or his body or his or, or the town where he lives. So I just have to get that in. Yeah. But yet, as if cranks up the excitement, cranks up the tension with music and filmmakers' tricks. But he himself remains almost godlike in his impartiality and lets you kind of decide the morals. But he's still making a decision that's leading you in a certain direction. Yeah, he has to be. Because that's his job and he does it very well. And just finally then, what is it to make a film about a a living person and one about a dead one? Because the the content and the tone of the Maradona documentary, despite the fact he's alive, is not uncritical and it doesn't seem to make much difference difference at all as Jason said obviously in terms of organisation but also in terms of the vibe in the room he could have turned up to his the premiere in Cannes what's the difference between those two things well you have a set ending as we were saying you know with someone that's no longer with us and with this one um, yeah he made a decision to end it at a certain point but you don't you have to make that decision as a filmmaker rather than the world making that decision for you but also I think I mean, not necessarily in Diego Maradona, but I have seen documentaries of living people, which are obviously way too sycophantic, and and mm. which is not the case here, but um, that are, are too polite and too worried about legal issues. You mentioned um, that Westwood one, yes, um, recently, which actually Westwood decided to she didn't yeah. really like it. She decided so when you do make one about living, they can answer back. It's one of the problems you've got with them, especially Westwood, who you expect would answer back. You know, I, uh, I can't remember the name of the who made the the, the Westwood documentary. Was it uh, Lorna Tucker? Lorna Tucker, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, she was. I said. Oh, Vivian doesn't like your film. She was like, "Well, I would be disappointed if Vivian did like my film." It's kind of the point. You can of, get it back. Vivian. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So you know, props to anyone there who kind of does take on the living. That brings us to the end of today's show. Diego Maradona is out in cinemas on June fourteenth, and Holston is out on the seventh. Thank you very much to my guests today, Anna Smith and Jason Solomons. This episode of the Monocle Culture Show was produced by Holly Fisher, studio produced by Augustine Machilari, edited by Alex Port Felix. And I've been Robert Bound. Join us again at the same time next week. But for the time being, thanks for tuning in. 